We want to underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike. One co-host also, Mike, in a moment as we are setting the table for another category review podcast. It's another category close-up, and today we're breaking down the biggest prize of them all, the last award of the evening, that's Best Picture. If you've never watched the Oscars before, it's going to be a La La Land Moonlight situation. Well, maybe, and if it is, it's going to be a lot more shocking, but we are honored to have a guest joining us today, aren't we, Michael? Yes, Eric Weber of AwardsAce.com returns to the show. We've enjoyed multiple collaborations with Eric here on MMO, and uh, this show this best picture special is happening with eric for the second year in a row so it's really cool to get him back for the same special uh we'll we'll do some comparing and contrasting there a little bit to parasite etc otherwise we also had eric at our mid-year oscars report kind of right before the fall film festivals when we were looking back on all of the pandemic films that we got. And mm. it was cool because he gave us some deep cuts. He gave us some horror and thriller recommendations, some cool-ass movies where we, we went down the rabbit holes on those, Rent-A-Pal, St. Maud. Uh, well, Bull is a different kind of movie, but that was a really uh, a good one on Hulu right now. And uh, well, I think we're going to have to ask him about his newest uh, hidden gem. He's been tweeting about it. I'm curious. We haven't had any time to rewatch or watch new movies, Mike, but... Uh, funny face so we're gonna have to ask him about funny face yeah he's been very high on that for sure and he is someone to to go to and he's in that chris gore film threat film independent type vein where he tries to get a how to head and and kind of set the uh set the tone and set the what the zeitgeist should be talking about in terms of movies which is something we truly really do respect out of eric every time so make sure you are following him at eric weber uh awardsace.com and he is on the sunset awards uh, you can find all of those on Twitter at their various ats. You can read and study all of his big boards and award tracking stuff and favorites on awardsace.com as well. And now, uh, well, I gave you a little prelude, but he is the chair at the Sunset Film Circle. And you can see all of their inaugural winners at sunsetcircle.com as well. Yeah, he's a Hollywood insider. He's a, a seasoned awards journalist. Uh, and, you know, as an added bonus, Mike, he's like this talk radio guy. So he's sitting as a chair on that uh, and that new organization, we'll, we'll ask them about that up top here. That was really cool to see. I thought they did some really smart things. Coming out first, coming out with these cool-ass categories. Yeah. That was uh, that was inspired work. And they are very predictive. I'll be honest with you. I was doing the crossover stats for the Sunset Film Circle Awards. They were very predictive this year. And that, I guess as an awards pundit sitting in that chair, that's got, that's got to feel good for Eric. It, it feels good for us, too. I mean, I don't, we, we keep saying we don't know why these qualified people who are so good at their jobs and the, among the best in the business come and talk to us. But uh, Eric is certainly another one of those. So loaded show for you today, dear listener. We're going to have our personal countdowns on the best picture category at the end of this episode, just like we did in our previous two shows in the category review or category overview playlist that is on our SoundCloud feed. So please do check that out. But first, as promised, we have burning questions and we're breaking down the best picture category with Eric Weber of awardsace.com. We will see you all on the other side. All right, on the line right now, our good buddy Eric Weber from awardsace.com joins us once again. Eric, thank you so much for coming back for the second year in a row to talk about best picture with us. Excited. We're finally there. I mean, this has been the longest award season ever, <laughs> and it feels like it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It does. It does. 
yeah, we were just talking about how how it's it's just it's just been you know we're ready. I'm ready. We've been ready for 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 weeks now, if not months. And uh, I just want it to be over. I mean, I want to talk about this. Don't get me wrong, but I'm ready to talk about next year. I'm ready to flip the page, right? So, a couple quick quick, quick questions because number one, when are you doing your pages for next year on awards days? Because I, I, you know, I'm eagerly anticipating those. They are ready to go. They nice. are they Look are in you. the holding bin, and they're going to go live on Oscars night because that's kind of the end, right? So it'll give nice little hits there. Have everyone look at what's coming up, and uh, it's you know it's a lot of work. You know, I go back to where we started for mm. this last year pre-COVID, going through pretty much you know every studio that that has a legitimate chance and picking out the films that look like they have. And, you know, a chance to to get an Oscar nomination or even just to be in the awards conversation at all. And that's quite a few films, right? That's a huge list. So well, especially the way you do it and performances, especially yeah. the way you do it on awards. ASP. And it's one of the things Mike and I talk about behind the scenes and with you on Mike all the time. It's just you not only try to fit things into the Oscars conversation, but you go above and beyond in trying to shine the light. I mean, whether it's Rent-A-Pal, whether it's St. Maud, on these movies that kind of don't have Oscars traction, and you try to force the conversation, rightfully so. And that's something we truly, truly do admire about what awardsace.com does. That's what I, that's my mission, you know, and and that's the mission in what we started this year with the Sunset Circle. Um, You know, Sunset Circle Awards was Mm -hmm. the same exact mission, is to shine a light on these films that deserve it, that are not going to get the awards oxygen that they deserve. You just know they aren't. And and perhaps if we have a few voters who stop by awardsace.com and they look at it and they say, wait, I need to watch this movie. This this has a recommendation by Eric. This is on the list. And and the other thing that, that we discussed before is how what I like to do is instead of saying, here's who's going to win, here's our top five for next year. No, no, no. We're going to list everybody who has a shot because we shouldn't be excluding people this far out. I can Mm -hmm. tell you that. But even as we get closer, I don't like to exclude. I like to slowly crunch it down to where we're getting a little more, you know, these are the this is the focus group. But you still, you know, I'd love to have a film like a St. Maude, like a Rent-A-Pal, like this year, my favorite movie I've seen so far is Funny Face. Very small film. Loved, loved that film. If we can get those films some traction early on, uh, you know, it's it's a benefit for everybody. And I loved how you guys rolled out the Sunset Film Circle and the Sunset Circle Awards this year. You had the bold move of doing it first. And this has been the longest year for all of us, but certainly for you guys. I mean, at the end of November there, you're getting that launch ready for the Sunset Circle Awards on December 1st. And... I just thought you had a lot of inspired, cool categories, scene stealer, directors to watch, which was like one of my favorite categories of the year. And then, you know, you still are predictive. You're shining a light on these cool new movies, but you are also predictive. You got six out of the eight Best Picture noms. You got 17 other major nominees in common with the Oscars by my count. So, like, what can you tell us about that process of year one there? And it, was it did it matter to you? Also, as an awards pundit, did it matter to you to have some crossover? Did you think that was even possible for such a long year like this? Yes, I did think it was possible because I think the group of people that we have in Sunset Circle is very strong, very knowledgeable, Mm. see so many films. 
and have a, a, a very wide palette. They can, ha- you know, they have all kinds of films that they enjoy, and that's what you're looking for. And that's kind of what I said when I let's start this thing. Let's look at, and I'll be honest with you, you know, the film that started Sunset Circle, it's Saint Maud. That's huh, the nice. film. I'm not kidding you. That is the film that started Sunset Circle. I said to myself, this is a film that is my it was my favorite film of the past year, but I knew it wasn't going to be an awards favorite. It got no nominations. Now, granted, it the, the release schedule was a total mess for May 24. Mm-hmm, they didn't right. know when it was coming. But but it luckily it did show up in time for Oscar consideration. It was um eligible, right? But mm-hmm. it still was never going to get that. Right. But I said to myself, hey, you know, films like this deserve to be shown alongside Nomadland, alongside Promising Young Woman. All these films that are great films, there's no, we don't have to say it has to be from this distributor or this big a film or this much box office. We can kind of put them all side by side. And that gets back to what we talked about on Awards Ace when you set up the list is that w- you can discuss someone from a very small film like Rent a Pal along with Tom Hanks, which is people, oh, wait, you can do that? Yeah, you can. And I think that's. <laughs> That's what we're trying to do, and I think we did a really awesome job of it for the first year. Promising Young Woman won Best Film. It has still it's still in the mix for Best Picture. I think it's right there, and we'll talk about that. But you know, also we had you know things like Darius Martyr, who won, as you know, DGA first film. He just won that, and we had him as Director of the Year, edging mm-hmm. Chloe. But you know, it was it was a fantastic first year. The aim is really not to predict the Oscars, but if we can and we can be that barometer, that bellwether for that, then that's what it is. And and I hope that that's what we're going to do going forward. But being first is everything. You know that, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's so important to be early in the conversation. And I think not only were we first, we got it right. We really nailed it. You did. I mean, you had Nomadland from the beginning. You had Nomadland up and down the card. And Nomadland has been this wire-to-wire favorite in many ways surprising to mike and i to be honest but uh that conversation is coming i think but i I think the prerequisite to to, to that conversation is this one here because we have had arguments against nomadland of late but i to me i you know and i'm not the lawyer mike of the two mics so maybe i shouldn't even be asking this question (laughs) but i think like what do you do you discredit the uh witness right and i'm wondering if you can discredit like the precursors a little bit because on resumes alone nomad land that's something to reckon with but we do have an h hfpa that's freshly scandalized we do have baftas so white coming off of last year and we have them changing up all of their rules and their voting procedures really the nomination long list stuff that's where it got was different obviously their whole you know votership voted for the winners but different nominees so scandals aside even we have this long bizarre award season where i think my you know mike and i said it and we i think we said it with you back in the mid-year report was like if something weird's going to happen in any year it's probably going to happen in this one so how much how much do you consider the resume when looking at nomadlander consider the resumes of any of these precursors this year can you discredit them or do you go back to the traditional arguments because it looks like a wire-to-wire win for nomadland you know, I think at the end of the day, when you look at any of these precursors, you start to look for a pattern. So obviously you see a pattern with Nomadland. Mm-hmm. You're seeing it when uh, the vast majority of opportunities it has to win, including all the critics groups, right? It was pretty much the winner of all those two. 
So you really have a film that has broad appeal that is shown over and over to be successful with all kinds of different film goers and movie watchers. And that's the key to Oscar success is that you are going to end up on that preferential ballot up near the top, if not one up in that top three, let's say. And I just don't know anybody that I've spoken with that doesn't at least admire Nomadland. You might not love it, but you at least admire the artistry of what Chloe did. Yeah, I think that's certainly true, and it does. Uh, it certainly has wide appeal enough to speak to every voting body thus far. I think part of that has been the relatability and the accessibility of the film and uh, the emotional draw to it. Also, it's mm-hmm. been a relatively clean slate for Nomad. I mean, the biggest controversy Nomadland has had to deal with is probably what's going on right now with the L.A. Times whatever they're trying to do by saying Nomadland is glorifying what it's glorifying. Can you, do you put any stock in this controversy? And and more importantly, maybe for the listeners who don't know about it, I know you've tweeted about it. Can you just kind of quickly summarize what the, what the LA times is saying Nomadland had done here? Well, I'll do my best because I truthfully, I started reading the article and I got to a certain point and I go, this is my eyes were rolling back in my head like this is just what are we doing? In fact, when I saw, you know, I was on, I, I was not on Twitter for a while and then it showed up and it gained traction. I'm like, why is Nomadland trending? Right. And why? And then it shows the LA Times article and I was just, I was baffled. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, essentially, they're saying they're, that they almost glamorized the gig economy, you know, working for Amazon. These They, they made it look more glamorous than it, than it should be, and, and they don't treat their workers well and this kind of thing. I mean, never once did I think that, okay? Um, you know, obviously, uh, during the film, I, I think it does – if anything, what I like in a film, and I think Chloe does this very so well in Nomadland, is it's almost – you know, there's no – they're not casting judgment on really anything. They're just kind of presenting a story, and they're not trying to lead you in a certain direction – because I think sometimes, a lot of times, filmmakers try to push you down a certain way, and I think you're better off somewhere in the middle, in a neutral position. Therefore, you allow the audience to make their own decisions rather than being told this is how to think. And you know, films that that I feel that way about are like you know, Defy Bloods. It just he was so heavy-handed with about the messaging. I'm like, okay, we can do that. We can we can figure that all out without it. Mm-hmm. Or Vice. You know, you go back to a movie like Vice, same kind of thing. Uh, it was so heavy handed. Then you look conversely at something like Bombshell and what Jay Roach did with that is that even though he you know, was skewering Fox News, it's not as he just he didn't he laid off a little bit and he let the viewer kind of make their own mind up. And I think that's what Nomadland does. It doesn't. Did, why does it have to say? Why does Chloe have to say Amazon's good or bad? She worked at the factory. I mean, that's kind of what I, I never really thought that way. I think it's kind of strange, too, for me. I don't watch movies like that. I don't I don't watch a movie and think, you know, what have they not represented here well or something. I'm just trying to get involved in the film as a as a as a art project, as a film. And and for me, uh, that doesn't even enter my mind. So when I read this stuff, I go, wow, I, I, how do you make this leap? But this is what studios do. Mm. Other rival studios do when they know that there's a film that's the front runner. They're going to start. But how can we get how can we take it down a notch? How can we start the smear campaign? How do we how do we get that going? And I, I guarantee you this came from one of the other studios, Netflix. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and they're saying, listen, we really want Trial of Chicago 7 to win. And we know that Nomad Land's the favorite right now based on all the precursors, based on buzz, based on just the track right now. Um, that let's muddy the water. Let's put something out there that we can dent this thing up hmm. so we can have a chance to swoop in and win. You saw that happen with Green Book. 
if you guys remember. So the same, how can we attack this film? We know it's getting momentum. We know it's looking like the front runner. It's, listen, I, I tweeted it yesterday. It's kind of like junior high out here in Hollywood. These people are just ruthless, and they'll do whatever it takes to win mean girl stuff. And I think that's what this is. I think it's going to amount to nothing at the end of the day. I, I don't understand how a movie that shows you know, depicts the reality of that life being so gritty and so realistic could be accused of glorifying mm-hmm. anything personally. But all right, I, that's out there. It's, I, I tend to agree mm-hmm. with it being a, a smear campaign or a hit job, uh, like you were saying. But let's talk about the resume of Nomadland itself now from Venice and TIFF through this past weekend. It's won most of the Best Picture Awards it's had the chance to win, and pretty much every director trophy, uh, including its big nights at the Globes, at Critics' Choice, now BAFTAs and DGA as well. Your site, awardsace.com, has Nomadland as the front runner, not only in picture and director, but also in adapted screenplay and cinematography as well. Frances McDormand is still very much alive, obviously, after her BAFTA success, and although Sound of Metal takes the lead in editing after BAFTA, Nomadland has been talked about in that category all year as well. <laughs> The resume is not perfect. Chloe wasn't eligible for the WGA, and now the father mm-hmm. beat Nomadland in terms of adapted screenplay at BAFTA. SAG Ensemble went to the Chicago 7. Nomadland used mostly non-actors in its ensemble, so it wasn't expected to be nominated there, maybe. But in your mind, is there a glaring hole on the Nomadland resume, and or have you been surprised about its ability to maintain this wire-to-wire front-rudder status that it has since its debut? Well, I think what's interesting is what you just mentioned is is when you look at the holes, there's an explanation for the hole. Mm. So so you look at SAG. Uh, obviously, it wasn't going to get a SAG because you mentioned it. There's a lot of you know street casting going on in that film. So you you know the performance is not a giant ensemble film like Trial of Chicago Seven or Judas the Black Messiah. You know that's probably my favorite of all the films if I had to say ensemble for me. But you mm-hmm. know an ensemble film. So you knew that wasn't going to happen. So there's so you move SAG and you it's easily explained. And then you go to WGA not eligible, right? So then another one you can explain that away. Uh, so it makes it kind of hard to get a read on exactly where it is be- because of that, because of its inel- ineligibility with those, you know, those two I just mentioned, especially. Uh, but ultimately, you still have all those wins. You still have, obviously, you know, Chloe's winning director. Okay. Right. That's a lock. That's 100%. Like, I, I wouldn't even put a 99. I'd say 100% lock. That's done. Okay. So you put that away. Uh, cinematography lock put that away that's two uh, and then you start to look at, at other things and i still think editing's right there along with sound of metal it's really interesting we'll talk about sound of metal certainly in the father's another interesting film too there's broad appeal bro- broad support for the films how strong will that support be could it translate into something you know bigger than than some of these smaller uh, oscars as it were we'll find out but i'd say right now if you were putting money down no question prohibitive favorite is Nomadland just based on everything we've seen from start to finish extended award season it's it's won virtually everything that it needed to win on the way in and I would say you're looking at an Oscar winner right there right and that that's certainly most of the how of it and uh, you you made it uh, a succinct case uh, for certain there I guess I, I would like to pick your brain on some whys though I mean you got into some of it but I think I'm wondering if this film is tapping into some pandemic experiences or anxieties. I'm wondering if 
this level of filmmaking is just something that's irresistible to the industry. It's just undeniably well made, and it's just like guerrilla filmmaking perfected. Uh, but it's it's this crazy year, and yet we're basically talking about. A, a, a nomad who lives in a van and we got this sprawling story about her that is just taking every single award along the way so i guess it, it's this strange juxtaposition on how we're all such homebodies we're stuck at home and this is like a road trip movie from hell it's from hell it's not a great you know road trip that she takes it's this miserable miserable thing so why do you think it's just like tapping into the zeitgeist right now it's listen last year was heavy we know that it was it was arguably the worst year ever certainly in my lifetime i understand it's been worse years and wars and things of this nature but as far as just you know the, all the things that we went through i think that a film like nomadland allows you to escape ultimately and, and i think that's what we go to the films it's why we go to the theater it's why we i guess now watch screeners but now i thank god theaters are back we go there to escape <laughs> we go there to forget about some things and for, and leave things on the side and, and just get involved get engrossed with what's going on on the screen and, and that film does it very well and i think it's because you said it's immersive it's got that gorilla aspect you go back to the writer which was one of my favorite films of was it three years ago now um mm-hmm, you know yeah. th- that that her filmmaking and and it's kind of it's similar to Sound of Metal, you know, with Darius, what he did, that's my kind of filmmaking, just kind of raw. Um, the street casting's interesting to me, but I'm just saying the actual look and feel of Nomadland mm-hmm. is is right in my you know wheelhouse. That is the film. That's the kind of film I want to watch. Um, you know, and and I think that it just it just sucks you in. And I, I, it's not just me. It's it's again. Have you met somebody who came to you and said? Uh, I didn't like Nomadland at all. I thought it was terrible. It was a waste of my time. Nobody said that. No, I don't think, right. I don't know anybody like that. Do you? No, 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 no. I, I mean, Hard, no. yeah, there's been, it's been polarizing at worst, but there's certainly the accessibility, like you're saying, that I, everyone can at least find the respect in it and be impressed by at least a couple aspects of what would happen in making of that film. Definitely. And I think that'll get back to what we talk about preferential ballot. Right. It's, it's really hard to imagine Nomadland appearing low on a ballot. A film like Mank, yes. I mean, geez, if I was to rank them one through eight, I would have Mank at eight. I mean, it, it, it's way down <laughs> my list. But, but you know, for, but that said, uh, you know, I think that you're looking at Nomadland as a general uh, consensus. The average person is going to have that near the top of their list, if not the top, in that top three. Like we said, that's huge to winning an Oscar with the preferential ballot. So um, it's it's just I think and Chloe, too. I mean, Chloe's just such a likable person. Right. And I think that also helps is that she seems like the kind of person you want to hang out with. And I think that that works versus, you know, David Fincher. Uh, you know, listen, my respect, David Fincher. I think he's amazing. <laughs> Don't love Mank, But but Social Network, perfect film to me. Zodiac, go back, you know, millions of films. All of those, you know, he's not quite like Chloe in that, you know, Chloe just seems he's just you want to you want to root for her. And I think you've seen that over and over this award season. So she's definitely a rising star. And, and that makes total sense. I, I'm wondering, just as a quick follow here, do you think Nomadland hits the magic number? or Do you think it, it does revert to preferential balloting where it again, you know, has it has an edge, like you said? I think that it does. Oh, it's really hard to hit that. You know, listen, I don't care what year it is, unless there's one film that is by far 
the the mm-hmm. number one. It's not even close. Uh, last year wasn't that. Even with Parasite, it, I, I just don't see it what, as being that. There were too many good films involved in the mix. This year, uh, weaker field overall. But still, I don't know if Nomadland has that complete, uh, you know, listen, we all know Parasite was a phenomenon. We've never, I don't know if we'll see that again anytime soon. Right. That was a unique, the people who love that film, like myself, and I know you, some of you guys, which one of you, one of you did not like that film. (laughs) I was going to stay silent. Okay. I still don't get him. I still can't look him in the eye. It's been it's been between us all year. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, so you don't think I, I, I was always the, under the impression that Parasite had to have hit the magical number, because if it did, I mean, just the way the Academy has its issues in terms of race and, and political leanings and things like that, that we've seen. I mean, the Eliza Hittman letter is something that we talk about all the time, how that random yep. Academy member mailed that out to yep. her. I, I, I would be surprised if, if Parasite didn't hit the magic number, but you still think there was no way it happened. Ah, uh, you know, it, it's still, it's still a little bit polarizing. You know, you're not the only one. Um, I remember going with my parents to see it at the live score screening here, right before we shut down. Obviously, as you know, we, we had the Oscars and we pretty much shut down like mm-hmm. three weeks later. Uh, but I remember going to that live score and, and my father, who's a real good barometer for, you know, best picture. He's, he loved, of course, Green Book and, and you know, back and on and on. But but he he said, I didn't like that. I didn't like how it twisted at the end. I didn't like the violence. And I OK, I kind of gathered he wouldn't. But he didn't love the film nearly as much as I did. My mom loved it. So it was a little see you got a little more polarizing action on on Parasite. I think the people who loved it really, I mean, by far was their number one, me. And and then there were people who were as as you were further down the list, but I still think there were more of the really high high level, you know, this is by far the number one film. Um uh, Nomadland feels to me not quite like that. It's 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 not the runaway like I don't think the people who love Nomadland are as staunch supporters as they were uh, you know, if you put it up against the parasite, you know, stands, those people were fervent that this is this is by far the best mm. film. I love it. Banging the drum like I was about Parasite. I haven't done that about Nomadland. I mean, my number one movie was St. Maud, clearly not one of the eight. But but, you know, I don't think that the people who love Nomadland are quite as high as it on it as as they were with Parasite. But but again, you also don't have that polarizing thing going on. So you have it in that top three that we're talking about. It's not going to fall too far below that for most people. Parasite, I could see being at the top and then at like six or seven. I could see a little bit more of that than being in the top three. Or it'd be close there, but a, just more polarizing than, than Nomadland. Well, let's let's talk about uh, Nomadland's main competition here, at least in, as far as Vegas sees it. Uh, we happen to agree you actually have it up on awardsace.com as, as the number one contender right now, too, in Trial of the Chicago 7. I mean, we know 2005 happened, right? We know a crash took SAG Ensemble. It rode that momentum to a Best Picture win. It was an upset over Brokeback Mountain at the time. But Crash had more wins on its resume up to Academy Sunday than mm-hmm. Trial of Chicago 7 does right now. We personally have a love-hate relationship with that movie. I mean, we're high on the highs, but we have a lot of issues with it personally ourselves. How do you view Trial of the Chicago 7 and its best picture chances? Well, I'm not a huge fan of the film. Um, You know, I saw that early on. It was back in, I want to say, October. They had a huge premiere over at the Rose Bowl, Netflix. It was their biggest one of the year by far. A drive-in. 
you know, spent a ton of cash on that event. So it was very clear that this was going to be one of their Oscar films, hmm. one of their big Oscar films. But but it turns out this was the number one priority for them. Uh, it, it, you thought it was going to be Mank, but right. I think they kind of knew, given the year and given what's going on in the world, that Chicago Seven had a really good shot. That's why they bought it from Paramount. You know, Paramount said, "Hey, fifty to whatever seventy-five million for this thing." They said, "Hey, we can probably win an Oscar or two, maybe more with this thing. Let's buy it and let's run it." So they did. I just I, I'm not a huge fan of the film. I don't like the structure of the film. I don't. I think the comedy doesn't work. I think it's just it isn't a great film. And you know, we go back to Sunset Circle. That's that wasn't one of our top films. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't one of the ten. And and there's one of the misses. Um, conversely, one of my favorite films that we missed, the one that I was you know talking about that we would have had seven out of eight is Judas and the Black Messiah. I mean, for me, if you're going to talk about a movie that's now. It's a f- much. It's a superior film to Chicago Judas. It. That's not even a comparison in my estimation. But for whatever reason, it got in late. Um, you know, Warner Brothers is kind of they're a little bit. They, they don't really quite know what they're doing right now. I feel like it's a little bit in disarray over there. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, they they did pr- admirably well with it, considering we thought that it was going to really strike out across the board or just miss a bunch of things. It didn't. It ended up getting a, a ton of nominations, which is it deserves. You know, certainly Lakeith is like, what? When we saw that, (laughs) what did you just do? Right. (laughs) That was insane. Like that. No one, no one expected that to happen. Um, So I think Chicago seven for me, I think in how I feel about it, how you feel about it is just is very similar to how the average person sees that film. I don't hear much overall like, wow, this film blew me away. There just isn't that broad support of you know the the fervor that you saw again with the parasite um that that just gets everybody to talking about a film it just never really got that it almost felt like we were we we the the chicago seven that we wanted we didn't get that's my that's my takeaway Hmm. i wanted a different chicago seven i think there's a better chicago seven in there and i talked to my friend all the time we see a ton of movies together and i said listen uh, I think that's the most disappointing thing when you go to a film is that what you expected is not met. And then conversely, the worst thing about it is that we're not going to get another film. They're not going to make another trial of Chicago seven movie. Hmm. And, and so you got your one shot and you didn't get the best film you could have gotten out of it. And again, we've talked about it all year, but it, it is a function of timing for Aaron Sorkin. I cannot imagine after the reckoning that, that we've been through as a country, if Aaron Sorkin makes the exact same movie in this particular year. I mean, that was a script he had since 2012 or, 20, you know, so he was sitting on that for a while. He wanted to make that movie for a while. And yeah, it, it was awkward timing. But Netflix has still done extremely well. And you talked about WB and how they've, you know, changed some strategies and they, they've been in flux. There's no doubt about it. Everything's been in flux with the industry to a point, And we're, we're going to wait and see how that shakes out. But Netflix in particular, they really pivoted from last year where they had the tent pole Oscar candidate and the Irishman to this year where they kind of spread the money. They had acquisitions. They had, you know, these passion projects like Mank. And like the Five Bloods, where they're pushing and, and kind of uh, patroning from the ground up, and we can respect that. We can respect that the fact that they hand big money to to auteurs and they and they patron them. But I'm I'm wondering what you think they have learned throughout these 
you know, several kinds of strategies over these last few years. I mean, they went with the Alfonso Cuaron Roma strategy, where that was a film festival, darling. They eschewed all the film festivals this year, and they kind of just launched them on their own platforms in a spread out calendar. You know, what what do you think Netflix HQ is telling themselves about the Oscars this season? Well, I mean, they're clearly in the nomination game, right? Uh, they, they, they lead nominations now. We, we've gone from a studio that we didn't even discuss as an Oscar studio to now being arguably the number one award studio. If you look at nominations, you can't argue it. Right. Uh, I, I think that going forward, Netflix has to crush. They've got to, they've got to get smaller. They've got to make those, whatever the films are that they really want to push. They've mm. got to get those FYCs down to like seven or eight. Let me tell you, as a, as a, as a viewer, as someone who sees every film, like you guys, I make an admission. If you're going to discuss the stuff you had to have seen the film, we can't discuss stuff. I mean, how, how could I have a discussion about the Oscars if I hadn't seen the films or the performances or any of these things? It doesn't make sense. But, but here's the problem. When you go to the Netflix FYC page, there's so many films that it's just, it's too many. There's, so you're going to, you're going to lose uh, some attention for films because you have so many there on the FYC page. Look at an A24, you know, on a typical year, they have maybe four right. on, a, on a good year. Some years, look at Minari. I mean, that's really it. So, uh, you know, though, sometimes it's easier when you just have to focus on one, two, three things tops. Warner Brothers had three or four things this year. Um, and that's it. I think that if I'm Netflix, I'm I'm going to whittle it down and really focus in on only so many things. But clearly, they're, the, the strategy they're deploying right now is to get as many nominations as possible and as many categories as possible. And they're doing that successfully. So you don't think there's a feeling of, of maybe a disappointment in the walls of Netflix right now? I mean, yes, leading the, the field in nominations is nice, but with everybody mm -hmm. stuck inside for a calendar mm -hmm. year... I mean, wasn't this the Netflix year they should have been a more serious contender for Best Picture? Well, I think they had bigger plans for Ma Rainey, which I shockingly did not get a nomination. Obviously, we know Chadwick is very likely going to win Best mm -hmm. Actor. Um, but but you look at Ma Rainey, uh, that was a film that they expected more from. You know, what? here's a question I have for you guys. If you took last year's slate and you're talking The Irishman, The Two Popes, Marriage Story, those films and you slide them here and you take these films and you slide them there. I mm. think that the Irishman could be a contender for best picture, a stronger contender than trial of the Chicago seven. I think the last year's slate was stronger for Netflix. And again, I said, if you slide those two, I bet you they wish they could because they would, they would have, I think, or at least take some of those films like the Irishman for sure and push that here because this year was weaker. 2019 was stacked. Well, that's what I was, right. that's what I was going to follow up when you post that hypothetical is which of these films, this is a question we've asked previous guests, but in terms of ranking the year of 2020, the film year of 2020, yes, we had the pandemic. We all know that it was difficult in the movie industry in general, but are, are any of these films all timers for you? Do, do you see any of them ranking historically as like, man, we really screwed up by not making that one a best picture in that year. That would be a best mm -hmm. picture in any year. 
No, the, listen, the highs last year, 2019, the highs were so high. Parasite for me again, and mm-hmm. most people, most, uh, had <laughs> okay? And that's that's a rare, uh, you know I you know I don't use this word, masterpiece. I refuse mm-hmm. to use that word. I hate when people throw it around. It's for extremely rare cases like Parasite, where it's, to me, a perfect film or very, very close to it. Uh, this year, there's nothing. I mean, St. Maud is my closest to that mm-hmm. that target but as far in soul i i listen the middle of soul i didn't love as much but i think the overall spiritual just oh man it's just when it when it hits when soul it just it just nourishes your soul and and it that's that's the kind of thing but it, overall it doesn't get to that level so no i don't i don't think there is a film in here that that you're going to go back and say, man, we really messed up. We should have had even Judas and the Black Messiah, which I think is, again, far superior to Chicago 7. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it needs to be tightened up. There's some things that, you know, could have been done a little bit better. Love the direction on that film, cinematography, uh, performances. But but the script, I would clean up a little bit, make it tighter. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't think there is a film. Again, if we were to compare 2019 and 2020, 19 is head and shoulders stronger than 20. And yet, you know, people have their, they have their foam fingers in the air for some of these, for sure. And it's just been tough. It's been tough to make the case the way we want to make the case with these award seasons against Nomadland in particular, because they, they just don't have the resume. So I guess, I mean, the, the rest of these questions here before we, we let you go is kind of asking you about if there's enough support if there's enough passion for this, you know, outside lane, this strange uh, situation, this unprecedented situation, this Marsha Gay Harden situation uh, where something comes out of nowhere and becomes the sneaky best picture contender that everybody secretly loved the whole time. And maybe it squeaks through on a preferential ballot situation. Like you said, you don't, you don't think the magic numbers are something that happens. So I guess I'm wondering for the first two here, Promising Young Woman, which has had some momentum with original screenplay, Minari, which has had some momentum for Ya Jung Yoon, those two have passionate support, at least on film Twitter, at least with the critics in our circles. Do you think either one of those has a chance to just do something weird and do something, I guess, fun at this stage? But I, I don't know. I, well, any chance? Minari would be my answer to that. I, I, I said, you know, I tweeted a few weeks ago, if you're looking at one film to come up in, in shock and, and pull a moonlight and it's the same studio, A24, it's Minari. They've, they've done a really solid job of, of continuing to keep it in the conversation and this is a tiny you know a24 in the world of studios is small then listen they have a ton of cachet we know that but i i feel like that's another film that when you stack a preferential ballot you're going to be very close to the top so it could end up being right there in that one two three maybe not at one but i think it still is going to be on one on a lot of ballots so i would not be shocked to see hmm. minari end up as as best picture i would say it's really it's it's between four films right we know that it's between nomadland uh chicago seven promise young woman and minari mm-hmm. and so when you get those four films uh, i would say that nomadland and minari are the are the closest to going to be up at the top they're not going to be as polarizing chicago seven i just don't see as a number one selection on many ballots i just i can't I can't imagine that so as such, I would say that has not a great shot of winning Best Picture. I would say Promise Young Woman has a better shot of winning 
than Chicago 7. But that said, I still have Chicago 7 ranked above it because I just feel like voters might at the end of the day say, hey, this was a year where we had all these things and this is the film that best represents 2020. Okay, so if that's the case, then it will be Chicago seven. That said, I still think it's Nomadland, but it's really listen, it's not a lock. None of this is. I mean, we, even last year, we didn't know it was going to happen. It was amazing. One of the best Oscar moments in history to see Parasite win Best Picture. But I would not be surprised if any of those four win. If a film other than those four wins, that would shock them. Wow. And it, I mean, it would be a shock. You have spoken highly about it. Uh, we both, Mike and I, have grown to love it as well. Judas and the Black Messiah. It's one of my favorite movies of the year, personally. It would be a shock mm-hmm. to see that breakthrough and win Best Picture. But what would be reasonably the best night on Oscar Sunday for Judas and the Black Messiah? I mean, I think we all think Kaluuya is a lock for supporting actor. Is there a yeah. second Oscar that thing could surprise in? Or does it look like it's on track for one, even on its best night? I think that you would look at uh, you'd look at screenplay, I think, at that point. And then and then but even then, I just don't know if uh, uh, actually one of my. Yeah. Yeah. Judas in there. I, I was for a minute. I was like, wait, did it get nominated? See, this is how long it has to been. I'm like, yeah, well, wait a second. Did it get it or not? Like These films. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, could it be there? Yes, it has the WGA. It has the so so. It could. I mean, listen, DK's in. We know that that's going to happen. If he doesn't win again, that'll be a very big shocking moment in Oscars 2021. And it's same with Chadwick for Ma Rainey, Mm -hmm. even though I personally would have Hopkins rated higher. If we were doing, you know, a draft here, the NFL draft, I would take Hopkins at one and I would have Bozeman, you know, just a little bit behind if I was picking between uh, two quarterbacks, but, but, you know, the, listen, I, I wish Judas had done a little bit more damage. I don't know if releasing it a little bit earlier would have helped them. Not necessarily super early. I just think that maybe they missed that window by three weeks. Mm. Um, those are, that's important. You know, it really is. You want to be yeah. hitting it at the right time. And I, it was one of the last films in, that's the one film we didn't get to see for Sunset Circle. And, you know, they were trying to finish it. I was trying to see it, but they didn't get it done until, you know, I guess January. But, um, you know, so I think that timing's everything. And they just maybe missed that. They they missed it just enough where it, it, it really deserves a little more love than, than Daniel. Okay. But, but, but he's going to win. Uh, and I think, I think also Song, I think Fight For You could – but listen, it's a front runner right now for me, and that's mm-hmm. a really wide open category, as you know. I could see any of those win. Um, Hear my voice, Trial Chicago Seven, Speak Now, One Night in Miami. There's a film that's you know didn't get everything that that Amazon thought it would get, including right. obviously Best Picture. So yeah, it's I, I think that that I would say screenplay, uh, song is is the second for me, and then I would go to screenplay as far as Judas and its Oscars hmm. opportunities. Well, I wish. Uh... I wish you guys got a hold of uh, Judas and the Black Messiah earlier because you pushed right. You pushed Sound of Metal. You pushed The Father from the very beginning, like we said about those other four films. I mean, six of the eight. I mean, I want to touch on these last two for a minute, but uh, yeah, it, it was it, it's a testament to what you guys did at the Sunset Film Circle this year to be on Sound of Metal and Darius Martyr before he winds up winning the D, uh, DGA there, first time feature, and The Father uh, throughout. Which yeah, last Sundance, but you guys were. We're with it from the, from the beginning. So I'm wondering what you think of the fact that this best picture eight, right? 
they look like they are kind of about to get awards or they're contending for awards across the board. Like we may have all eight best pictures win something on the night. We may have the father kind of, you know, make adapted screenplay happen. We may have sound of metal continue this editing and sound, uh, uh, you know, course that they're on. So what do you, what do you think of the fact that, uh, we may spread the love as an academy this year, and all eight of these may may get it. And 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 what do you think of the fact that we had two grassroots campaigns started by the Sunset Film Circle with Sound of Metal and the Father follow through here? <laughs> hey, listen, I'll, I'll tell you, it's easy. It, it's easy when you see a good film. I can't take credit for seeing. You have to be able to. I think also what makes you good at Oscar forecasting is you have to have good taste. Okay. Yes. I'm patting myself on the back, but no, you know, you have to, be <laughs> it's deserved. To you can do it here. It's a safe space. <laughs> you, you have to be able to identify quality. Okay. You have to be able to, and also conversely, you have to identify where things don't quite hit the highs. They should have Chicago seven. Not everybody can do that. And I think that when you see films, you're looking for people that are good at identifying the strengths and weaknesses of given films. And on some of these films, like Sound of Metal and The Father, you're talking about strengths that are across the board. We're not talking about one or two things. You know, we're not talking about, for me last year, uh, Gretel and Hansel, which, by the way, best cinematography of the year for me. And the score was one of the best scores. But that's not across the board. The film itself is kind of a snooze. But as far as the tech on that film, oh, my mm. God, blown away. Mm. So what you're looking for is when, you're, when you see a film that's across the board, like like you mentioned, you're looking at this broad, you know, uh, you know, nominations in, in all across the place because that's a great film. That's a very high quality film. And both of those, The Father and Sound of Metal, are two of the best films of the year. They're in my top five. And I, when I got done watching those films, I knew they were special. I knew that they had elements of greatness, not just as an overall film, but in cinematography and editing and sound, production design for The Father, no question about that. Those things are all, you're looking for those pieces, and those are two outstanding films. So it's not surprising that they are in all these different categories because other voters saw the same thing that we did. Uh, one of the best in the business and there it is and he's always a joy to talk to Eric uh, we cannot thank you enough for sharing your thoughts on Best Picture with us uh, we will give you the rundown of Eric's socials and where to find all his work as we did in the intro in the outro of this but thank you so much man and good luck with the uh, with the Oscars of 2021 I'm looking forward to see what you put up on Oscars night going into next year yes indeed Oscars 22, uh, 2022 we're ready to go and it'll be up on Oscars night, and we'll be talking about those, you know, in short order. Hopefully, we don't extend again. That's all I'm. <laughs> <laughs> just, I can't just, take it if we do. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I could maybe take thirty days. I right. Think they might do that. Like I could see them do January thirty first, but that's it. Like, and, then, and then maybe take that date and crush two weeks off of that, and just make it a really tight season. But yeah, we, we really need to. I'd rather work with you know a bunch of films in a short period of time than this long, because like we said. I'm excited to see who wins coming up here in a week and a half, but I'm also ready to move and, you know, flip the page. Uh, Agree. Your lips to God's Thanks, ears, Eric. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Thanks guys. See ya. Cannot thank Eric Weber enough. As always really becoming a true buddy of ours and one of the best in the business, as we kind of said in the intro as well, love reading his stuff. It, it's going to do nothing but, 
keep you better informed about both the movies that are on the awards tracks and the movies that frankly should be on the awards tracks and and I know I speak for Mike when I say that we are always keeping an eye out for the pundits and the critics and the writers who keep that in mind as well and don't just kind of follow where the Oscar picture is going but try to let movies that aren't getting the requisite attention into the Oscars conversation as well there is no one better in the business at doing that than Eric Weber and uh, I I just honestly feel honored that he's uh, so willing to join us as much as he has and share his insight and his professionalism with us mike yeah totally he's got our follow but he's also he's also got our respect i mean he's yeah. he's, he's earned that in the, in the business and he certainly earned that with his opinions he's not afraid to hate a movie that everybody else loves he's not afraid to interrupt the parade that definitely mm-hmm. happens on film twitter sometimes and sometimes he's the only one which is uh, yeah. which is pretty awesome to see. It's the position so it's, we find ourselves in, so that's why we're so attracted. Yeah. To, you know, yeah, we're drawn I mean, to him honestly, in that way. We look up to him in that regard. So it's, yeah. it's, it's great to be able to mix it up with him here, and uh, glad you guys were able to hear that interview. You're going to have Eric's socials, where to find all of his work, as you did on the intro to this episode. You'll find all those social media links on the outro. We'll have them posted when we post this episode as well. But to wrap up here, as we have done for the category overview podcasts and episodes thus far, Mike and I are going to give you the countdown. And in this case, it'll be the countdown. We will rank our personal rankings of these eight Best Picture nominees. Now, these are not necessarily our eight best movies of the year. This is just our... Our personal subjective ranking, the Academy of each Mike, if you will, ranking these eight nominees for Best Picture. And Mike, we've been pretty similar throughout the times we've had re-ranks. That's not the case today necessarily, though we do both start with the same number eight movie. Yeah, it's the trial of the Chicago 7, Mike. And this movie has taken such a tumble from me and I blame you. No, I, I, honestly, I, I think there's a chasm between my number eight because it's just lost so many points. Like I started uh, out with this movie as a B plus, and it's really tumbled down to a, a C plus. I still think there are, there are highs to the film, but I, I just I've had a lot of trouble rewatching this movie. I've had a lot of trouble thinking back to my youth and how much. I relied upon Aaron Sorkinisms and the West Wing and Well that's part of the frustration and we say I it every that. time we talk about this movie. We both love Sorkin's work so much and to get this as the big Oscar to be Oscar pundits who love Sorkin and to have this be it's it's kind of the same reason uh, we didn't want we don't want Glenn Close to win the Oscar for supporting actress because we are such big fans of hers. It kind of goes in line with that. And maybe there's this factor where we're holding him to a higher standard perhaps and maybe we're blinded by some of the the great things that he does or again you know after life experience yeah and and real life happenings that shake the entire world that Mm -hmm. uh, again you know it's a case of bad timing for the trial of chicago seven it's a bad look in our opinion to pick this as a best picture winner again that is a distinction we've made since the very beginning of this marketing campaign yeah. not that it was a bad movie not that it was something that should should you know people should feel guilty for enjoying but it was something that we thought should have an uphill battle all right and the punditry should acknowledge that and the, the that <sighs> It's just boggled our minds, Michael, why that hasn't happened until now, really. And we've gone on record 
outright saying it's an entertaining movie. The highs mm-hmm. are highs. You heard us talk about it this episode already, but it, it's not. There is a delineation. There's a, a line in the sand between something that's entertaining that doesn't necessarily have to be Oscars worthy. Uh, and this should not be in the position for best picture. We both agree on that. And even as Oscars critics, like you can call this the trial of what the hell happened to Mark Rylance, because we at least thought he was the best part of this movie. And as Oscar critics, he never got any traction. So many other people th- associated with this movie and so many other aspects of this movie did get traction that bothered us even more. And it's just it, a, a litany. It's a cacophony of bad tastes in our mouths because yes. of the trial of Chicago seven. I cannot taste still because of COVID, but <laughs> it, it, I dream of tasting again, and I hope to never taste this cacophony of whatever you just said. I agree. But no, I, I, Trial of Chicago 7 is a strong film. It's strong in many areas. I probably deduct more points than I should. I realize that. I realize there's a bias. It's frustration. I realize there's anger and frustration here. Again, I don't want to repeat the same arguments we did throughout the season. Go back and listen to the trial of the pundit parade problem Mm -hmm. that we did that was when the trailer came out go back and listen to our osp where we praise the film for a lot more than we've praised it for recently you know go go back and listen to some recent oscar race checkpoints we've litigated this time and time again and we've done it better than they did it in that movie in that kangaroo court scene uh, (laughs) sequence the whole movie actually so but i mean look it's it's a Aaron Sorkin movie. It's got uh, it's got goods to be delivered. It's just not on that top tier for us, and I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think it should be here, to be honest. Yeah, I uh, I Sorry. echo those sentiments. I echo, echo those sentiments as well. Uh, all right, so we have the same eight. I don't know how we're going to handle this exactly going forward because we have radically different numbers. Your seven actually is my number four, and that movie is Sound of Metal, Mike. And your four is my number. S- no, you're you're. Seven is my number four. So how oh, is it? Minari, there you go. All right, so Sound of Metal and Minari. Do we have to There's some coherence. There's some coherence to the mics, and nobody can tell us apart, I'm sure. But all right, Sound of Metal. Here, here's what I was thinking. This is, this is perhaps the, the greatest thing we could ever do or the worst. I don't know. But we should just switch. You become Mike 2 and I become Mike 1, and we just don't tell anybody. Well, I guess I'm telling people now, but... <laughs> I was going to say, I think you're you're giving away the farm there. Yeah, but anyway, all right. I've been thinking about this for hours a night for months on end, and that was the delivery I gave on the show. (laughs) I'm ashamed of myself. Michael, sound of metal. (laughs) You ever have something stewing for so long that you thought was funny, and then you just, you bomb it, and you just step on it? Nobody laughs. You thought it was the greatest joke in the world? It's like that Seinfeld episode. San Antonio 56, New York 43. Yeah, go ahead. Sound of Metal is my number seven. And it's not because I don't like Sound of Metal. I really do. It's a B plus. In fact, all of these grades, seven through one, are B pluses for me. So I really am splitting hairs. I'm a big fan of all these movies, even though maybe I'm not like, uh, you know, rating them higher than the last 10 years. I've seen some pundits talking about that. This is a great best picture field no matter what. And that's that's cool. If you love these movies that much, that's great. These are all B-plus strong movies for me, strong in any year. Sound of Metal was a rewatch, Michael, that we love, that we did a revisit for, that we mm-hmm. respected quite a bit. I really fell in love with Paul Racy's performance in that rewatch, and, and Riz Ahmed was, was very powerful on 
both and then you get to you, you get to study the production values and now we know why it's winning best sound now we know why to a greater degree it's winning best editing or it's it's taking the lead in those two races so sound of metal uh is 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 a strong number seven in this particular countdown so i I actually have Sound of Metal, and I agree with everything you said, and uh, you, you were higher on this group of Best Picture nominees overall than I was, and my why I have Sound of Metal 4, and it actually plays into my Minari being 7, as well as Nomadland 6 and Mank 5 for me. Those four movies... I rewatched them multiple times each. Sound of Metal was the only one of those four that got better for me on rewatch. For me, Minari, Nomadland, and Mank, I got a, I found more frustrations with on rewatch each time. And so those three kind of lost points, where Sound of Metal was one of the only two in terms of uh, film rewatches that gained significant points as far as these Best Picture nominees go for me. I echo everything you say. I do think it's it's a film that gains merit on rewatch as we both seem to give it more points after we did come to a revisit of it but like i said it it's not to take anything away from mank nomadland or minari i've never really been that high on minari i've never really been in love with nomadland mank i was at one point but <laughs> i think i'm not I've not been more frustrated by a movie this year outside of Trial of the Chicago 7 for very different reasons than I am with Mank and the execution of what David Fincher pulled off there. It's a very good movie. It's a movie for movie nerds, like you like to keep saying, and I totally agree with. But damn, man, I just wanted more when I was so excited about one of the greatest films of all time with this story about David Fincher's script coming from his father, Jack, and that narrative that we've talked about to death at this point already. I love Fincher as a uh, as a writer and as a uh, storyteller as it is as a director. Man, I just wanted more out of Mank, and I was just uh, maybe the most disappointed I've been. That said, it's still my number five up there, Mike. Well, I think my seven down to three was different layers of emotion, and I had okay. different emotions, and th- I had emotional reactions to this filmmaking uh, from those five movies. So. Like Sound of Metal, it really got to me when Paul Racy and, and, and Riz Ahmed had that big sit down scene at the end. But the father like broke me, like the, especially the rewatch mm-hmm. of the father. I, I actually went to AMC and I saw it on the big screen too when I was immersed in it. And it, 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 it was a strong rewatch. It's just like it's very disheartening. It's very disheartening. Yeah. It's a rough film to get through, even though I respect the the, the fact that they went for those genre goods to deliver well, you know me in degree of difficulty and that, yeah. i mean to tell that story a very high degree of difficulty yeah i agree to with tell you. that story in a psychological thriller format and a mm-hmm. script and a screenplay that we've never seen before right. done that way i mean it's very innovative and uh, yeah i mean you could totally respect that i'm with you i just you know again the the, the emotions that i had are kind of stuff that i want to fight against i guess and well, no, no I, I, there's yeah. something to that i mean throughout the history of mmo I've always been more the pessimist, you more the optimist. You're able, you want the, the happier endings, and I'm always like, hey, just kill them all, ask questions later. And, and there's there's definitely something to that. I can say for the father, as well as from where I sat, I don't think I was more as disappointed as I was with something like Mank, or like let down or frustrated. I think I was equally as impressed by what the father, like, didn't see it coming, whatever that feeling is, however you can describe that. I think you- that's why I have the father so high. You condition yourself so much yeah. to disbelieve right. film Twitter 
that when the father came out and was actually good, which right. you've been hearing from film Twitter, which I was hearing, we got to that movie last, Mike, yeah. dead last in this whole Oscar I think you're exactly right. Field. So the, it was actually this pleasant surprise for you. For me, again, it, it, it was something that I, I enjoyed. It's just something that uh, really hit me in the, in the heart. And my, my grandma, I mean, everybody has someone in their family. You do. We, yep. we all have. And it's just, yeah, I mean, the, the set of emotions are stuff that I, I don't want to think about, maybe. I don't know. I, that's, again, maybe it's a me problem. It has the same grade with all these other films. My five was Nomadland, and maybe I don't want to think about myself being old and pooping in buckets and pissing in the wind and <laughs> bathing in the river. And No, I mean, I, I make these stupid jokes every time. They're crass. They're I don't think we've we've talked about Nomadland without making a poop in a bucket joke. So at this point, it's just being it's, conscious of a streak. It's the golden image right now. It's We have to. Tar- we have to tarnish the golden image a little bit because it's winning everything. We just talked about it. But Nomadland's my number five. So Sound of Metal Father, Nomadland, Minari. And yeah, I mean, Nomadland is something very unique. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, I thought Frances McDormand was excellent uh, in all three watches. I thought like she was my number one best actress at the beginning of the season. And she wasn't really moving until I saw Vanessa Kirby. And then I was going back and forth between those two. And then I rewatched Nomadland a bunch, Michael. And I was like, ah, she's, she's playing against these non-actors and some of it's clunky and awkward. And, and you know, it, it wasn't the, again, the, the emotional first watch, it does move down, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. I, I wonder how many, times people are watching no man land are they studying it like us i watched it five times i don't i don't know if they're doing that it's an interesting point and it's one that's you know well again we talked about it this episode it's been wire to wire the front runner we talk about it all season long is it the type of movie that can sustain and withstand that momentum are people going to get bored of it we're going to see in these next week and a half here until oscar sunday if it does fall off in any major category it doesn't seem like it as we record this today but like i said there's still time to go uh you were quite high on minari and you've been very high on minari all year long that's your number four mike yeah, I think I saw it in the fall, and then the rewatch was still kind of, it was a refresh, you know? Mm-hmm. So I've only watched Minari twice, so maybe that's the thing. Maybe the more I rewatch something, the the further <laughs> down it slips. <laughs> because the Well, that's not true, because Mank, anyway. But, all right, Minari's my number four. And, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed Minari kind of the same. I gave it a strong B-plus grade. I, I, I reacted emotionally to it. I... I sunk my teeth into the story. I thought it was uh, played like literature on me. It played like something in your, you know, sophomore English class mm-hmm. uh, for me. I just, I really, I really like kind of stories that are. It's not anticlimactic, but it doesn't end the way you'd think it would end. And there's layers to it. There's a lot of subtext to it. I really, uh, I admire Lee Isaac Chunk for that. And then, of course, the ensemble and their performances. They, they play every time. I mean, or both times in my case. Yeah, Minari, certainly uh, you're among its fans. It's been very popular all year long amongst critics uh, specifically as well. As far as where we both are with our top three, we have two of the same top three, though, with different uh, ordering. Uh, your three is my one. My three is your one. Which one do you want to start with? We could start with my one reverse at this time. My one is Promising Young Woman. Mm-hmm. And I just rewatched it last night. It holds up. I think I wanted to fight these guy, the nice guys, more uh, upon <laughs> my fourth watch. Because again, I, I had I had like a chasm between watches. I watched it twice when when we reviewed it, and then 
Uh, I watched it kind of in the middle of the season, and then this was yeah, this was the six dollar watch, right? Because it went down to six dollars. Right. So I had to I had to click again. They're just I'm the perfect audience. Never mind. <laughs> Don't ever send me screeners if you're out there listening, because I'll just buy it again and again. No, I didn't have a screener for this one, and uh, I. I really enjoyed the rewatch. I think I was hoping that it would blow me away after not watching it for like a, a, a three or four weeks. Sure. About a month there. And I, I'm i a little upset that it didn't just totally blow me away, but I'm laugh. I'm still laughing. I'm still loving the, the, the music. I'm still, you know, putting it up there as that, level, that high level satire. You know, maybe it's not, it's not, obviously it's not as funny as the producers. It's not as funny as the end of uh, Little Miss Sunshine, but it's one of those twisted movies like that, that have won a lot of Oscars, especially in the screenplay categories, like Jojo Rabbit, like, like a bunch of movies that we've talked about, talked about on this podcast, even when we started with a get out, but it's obviously, it's not, it's not like any of those other movies, other than the fact that it is a dark comedy, that is a satire and it is talking on many levels. So again, maybe this is my respecting the high degree of difficulty, like, like you do with the father. And it does have a, certainly a very, very high degree of difficulty. I was so high. In fact, that I think that this winning, an Academy Award is is something that brings me a lot of hope for the future of the Academy because it, it, this is not a typical Oscar-winning movie, certainly not a typical Oscar-winning script, and I, I have come to appreciate the chances that it does take. I've come to appreciate what it could mean if the Academy does find itself embracing this and rewarding it on Oscar Sunday. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think Emerald Fennell, you know, maybe the movie never blew me away, which I don't think it did, but I think her star power and her star creation that's been this Oscars campaign for Promising Young Woman really has been something to blow people away and it's well deserved and well earned but yeah Promising Young Woman you're you're one it's my three Uh, my one was Judas and the Black Messiah that was your three Judas and the Black Messiah kind of alluded to it's one of two movies that gained substantial points on rewatch for me and that's even in concert with the fact that I was very high on it to begin with for me I've said it many times it's one of the three best movies of the year in my personal rankings. I think it's actually number two in my overall rankings of films of 2020. Uh, I've gushed and gushed about it. That's where I stand on it, Mike. Yeah, I, I watched it once early, and I, I didn't I didn't love it at all. I was yeah. frustrated with it. And you watched it, and you loved it, and yeah. you were talking me up on it. And then, obviously, it came out on HBO Max there, and we were able to study it, and we did our big film study, and... It, it, it won me over where, you know, the sadness and disillusion, maybe this would have happened for me with the father, you know, if I was sure. able to watch it right. more than twice. Uh, but Judas and the Black Messiah in particular, you're able to study the filmmaking, the craft. It's all there. There's no question on why it should and is nominated uh, for more than just uh, the, the acting awards. It's nominated for cinematography. It's nominated for original screenplay. So I'm, I'm glad it's original still. Song, yeah. An original song, thank you. Yeah, so it's 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 nominated down the rest of the card, uh, even though we thought it was just going to be like a Daniel Kaluuya thing. Uh, it was really cool to see Judas and the Black Messiah win over the Academy in this particular year, even as 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 that late breaker, breaker that we were expecting, we were hoping for throughout the mm-hmm. 16-month season, Michael's the longest <laughs> ever. So at least we got a film like this, and in your case, uh, one of your top films. So that's that's. 
and, and one of my top films on this list too. I mean, my number two was Mank. We kind of talked about it a million times. Uh, so uh, I mean, I had Judas three, Mank two, Promising Young Woman one. Run down your top three one one more time for us. Mark. Yeah, Promising Young Woman three. The Father finishes at my number two. Probably the most impressed I was. Uh, at least the lowest expectations, the highest delivery ratio on the year of these Best Picture nominees. And Judas and the Black Messiah is my uh, my number one. Those are the official rankings. Uh, as the Academy of Mikes would have them for the best picture category. We do, of course, want to give our thanks to Eric Weber once more, but uh, before we do that and read off where you can find all his work, what matters most importantly to us, and most importantly to Mr. Weber, as well as what you think, dear listener, give it, we want your thoughts about this best picture category, about these nominees, where do you see them finishing come Oscar Sunday, what are your personal rankings, uh, you can leave those on ours as well as Eric's social media, he is at Eric Weber, E-R-I-C-K-W-E-B-E-R on Twitter. You can find all his work at awards, awardsace.com and he is also Eric Weber on Instagram as well. Make sure you give him a follow on all those platforms, especially Instagram, where he can make you feel really bad about what your quarantine has done to your body because it hasn't done that to his. He is Iron Man, I think, and is the actual Iron Man. No, he's got the Tony Stark. Yeah, he, he puts Tony Stark to shame with the, the, <laughs> the workout videos he's posted. No, it's inspiring again. We got that's what we got to live up to now, Mike. We got to right. get freaking shape. I'm just I'm getting in a shape. It's just not the shape you want. Spherical is the shape I've nestled into nicely, personally. But uh, oh, you can also give us comments, questions, concerns about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. Leave us those on our social medias as well. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially the Apple Podcast app. But if you happen to be listening to us on there right now, if you would be so kind, just tap on our cartoon faces and our logo and leave us a five-star review. That would help us out dearly. Michael, what are some words of wisdom to end on and what's coming next from MMO? Yeah, it's wise to follow the uh, Sunset Film Circle and uh, sunsetcircle.com. Mm-hmm. Again, check out their inaugural winners. It's wise to uh, check out Awards Ace every day, and uh, every and certainly throughout award season. And I, it's, it's, I can't wait till he posts all of his new stuff uh, down the yeah. line. So, Michael, we got you know the last week. I mean, we're down the home stretch here, man. Can't we believe got it. A special interview or two. We have our predictions pod. We have our Oscar morning special that we're actually going to do a couple mornings earlier because every year we do the Oscars morning pod where we react to the indie film uh, indie spirit awards right so mm-hmm. that's actually happening on Thursday so i think we're actually going to record like a friday pod to release for your saturday so it'll be an oscar weekend pod this year it'll be a little oscar race checkpoint right before the oscars to get you in the mood and uh, of course we have the Razzies, but well, that all, the Razzies, if Glenn Close wins the Razzie and the Oscar, I don't know what we're, we should do. I don't know if we should record a breaking news five minute and just just like get into character as Mamaw, Mimaw, and uh, I don't know what we should do. We just have a rant and then get out. The defining moment in cinematic history, I think that'd be. <laughs> just gonna be mad if she was both. It's it's not it's not even gonna be a good look for us, but we're just gonna be mad anyway. A lot of people. Don't they, a lot of people can compartmentalize better than you and I. I think we mm-hmm. just we let our, you know we let our takes and our anger get to us, and maybe that's where we got to learn. We got to we got a Bruce Banner. We just I just made the Iron Man uh, 
inference and uh, reference, and now we got uh, Bruce Banner. I got to do the uh, meditation of Bruce Banner of uh, of the MCU. I'm rewatching the MCU, Michael. Did you did you know this? Yeah, you, you could have put those pieces together. I think from uh, what you were just saying there. Well, I'm I'm on the Incredible Hulk right now, and I the problem with the Incredible not Incredible Hulk it, it, it's bad, and I'm like mm-hmm. halfway through anyway. Mm-hmm. But rewatching MCU because of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision and all that, and uh, got a lot of time on my hands for some reason. Disney Plus sleep. has suckered you in well. <laughs> Disney Plus has me. They have me in the palm of their hands. I can't wait for Black Widow. <laughs> Ending on the MCU where we always knew this best picture retrospective was going to go. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come figure out these categories with us and our friends. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.